0: Welcome to a special edition of uh, the Everyone's Movie Review Podcast. I'm Sean Kernan, sitting in by myself tonight because uh, Bob's off this week. Uh, he'll be back, and we'll get back things to normal uh, next week. But uh, tonight, uh, this week, tonight, I don't know why I'm saying that, uh, this week uh, for something special, we're just going to take a look at some movies that uh, I had a chance to, to see and uh, talk to the directors about. Uh, one of those movies is a movie called 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot. Number one will blow your mind. And this is from Zach Lamplew and a guy named Brian Emond, And it's basically a a faux documentary takeoff on the work of Vice and BuzzFeed and kind of making jokes about uh, the millennial style of media. And uh, Zach Lamplew is a guy who knows a little something about this. He's an editor. And has worked in editing in numerous different fields, numerous different types of uh, industries like this one. Uh, so he knows from where he comes, and uh, he's got a star here in a guy named Brian Emon, who's a really dry, really funny guy who uh, gets laughs just from a you know a mere lift of an eyebrow or just a, a good a look on his face, just simply being done with it he's a great <laughs> performer for just being done with whatever's in front of him uh specifically in this case having to cover bigfoot at a bigfoot festival and go out into the woods and, and going out uh and with a bigfoot hunter and uh, the bigfoot fu- hunter in this movie is a a very funny guy uh I, and of course naturally as i'm doing this of course i don't remember the guy's name but i should and it's annoying i can never remember stuff but nevertheless uh 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot is a very funny movie. It's got a strong perspective. It's well-directed. Uh, it's low-budget, extraordinarily low-budget, but it's uh, from, even with that low-budget, they do an amazing job of uh, making you forget that it's a low-budget film. Uh, like I said, it's incredibly funny, and I had a chance to talk with the director, uh, Zach Lamplew, about the movie and about uh, the work that went into it and you know, working with, with his friends to get this done and on a an extraordinarily low-budget to make this work and uh it was a really fun nation uh, this is me talking with director zach lamplew about the movie teen things you didn't know about bigfoot on this special edition of the everyone's a critic movie review podcast joining us now is the director of 15 things you didn't know about bigfoot zach lamplew and zach thank you thank you for your time oh absolutely let's talk about this movie this has been around for a little bit uh now finally getting a, a release and uh it's had an unusual life so far has it? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Am I wrong? I, I, no, no, no. It's just I, I remember hearing about it.
1: Circuit.
0: i mean, hearing about it a couple of years ago, I guess. Oh, under really? A ti- under a different title? Yeah. It, was, it used to be called The Vice Guide to Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it has been around about and on the festival circuit. Circuit. How's it been so far? Good. Good. I, I've enjoyed the
1: hidden festivals, um, getting out through different weird outlets. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Picked up some awards.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we, we got some awards at some of these festivals. It was fun.
0: That's cool. Well, let's talk about the, in, the inspiration. First of all, this is, this is a very funny movie. I watched it this morning. Uh, you've, you've got some, uh, in the lead here. I mean, Brian is just really a fun, a funny guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, we'd all, uh, work together pretty much. We used to make like shorts together and stuff. So a lot of people have asked me like, Hey, had, how'd you get the casting for this movie? And I'm like, this is all people I knew <laughs> like, uh-huh. pre- pretty much 95% of this was just me texting people. I know. Um, yeah. So, so we all kind of knew, uh, what, what like strengths to play into and everything. Yeah.
0: Uh, certainly the, the style of this is kind of, uh, a little bit of vice, a little bit of buzzfeed and, uh, uh-huh. and, all, and an entirely a send up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we wanted to just kind of spoof, um, what like millennial documentaries are like now you know what i mean which is which is most most or not i'm saying most media but a lot of media like a lot of it looks the same a lot of like youtube videos are like blending with vice and buzzfeed and it's all kind of the same the same stuff to me like when i when i'm looking at how they like b-roll these videos and stuff and yeah (laughs)
0: interesting that you mentioned b-roll there's one of my favorite gags in the movie is is some drone footage b-roll that literally says that it's that it's taken from b-roll yeah exactly like uh, that's that type of thing is all over youtube
1: Mm -hmm. yeah youtube and pretty much everywhere man everywhere that's not like a legacy media company you know what i mean any anybody who's like not viacom is shooting and editing their video like that now
0: Talk about achieving the style for this because it looks, it looks exactly like a vice video at times. So we actually had, uh,
1: like I've, I've never edited for vice. I've edited a lot of like hipster video documentary stuff though. Um, but, uh, our producer had previously actually shot for vice. Uh, and so when we told him we wanted to make this movie, he was like, well, I have all the cameras and lenses. You should just use this. This is what we use to shoot for vice. (laughs) So, Yeah. So he he was like giving us cameras and stuff that, you know, we're on a vice shoot like a month before or something. Um, yeah, he shot, uh, for something called flop house. Yeah. It was, it was a thing that was on vice land that I think lasted like one season, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, we, and we talked about it too. We were like, we really hate when stuff is supposed to be, uh, Found footage or like a security camera, right. but it has like depth of field. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> when a security camera in a movie, you can clearly tell it's like a red cam.
0: So yeah. we were like, no, we want
1: to use like the real stuff they use.
0: It definitely has it captures the look uh, perfectly. And then of course you've got Brian at the center who is just from the first moment, he's just done with this thing. <laughs> he's just done with it. <laughs> and it only gets worse for him throughout.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. That that that's more based on my attitude. <laughs> that's, that's more based on me. But yeah. Uh, yeah. But Brian nailed it. Brian nailed the way I feel.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so how much Bigfoot media did you absorb in the time you were making this? Oh, so we actually uh quite a bit. We did we did quite a bit of research. I actually had a
1: Bigfoot uh researcher like consulting on the script. And everything like I was mostly just wanting to make sure I wasn't doing any uh, putting stuff in the script that isn't accurate to the way that Bigfoot is really hunted or, or Bigfoot hunters really, yeah. like you know, their, their techniques and stuff. So I was asking him, like, you know, is yeah. this how knocking works? Is this how the Bigfoot calls work and stuff like that? And we actually went to um, we went to a Bigfoot festival and everything. We actually got footage that we didn't use of real researchers like we were at one point we were toying with the idea of like well we'll have brian interview them in character and then put it in the movie and we were just like ah it doesn't really fit or like work but um Mm -hmm. yeah so we actually like interviewed some real researchers from florida and tennessee and all these different places
0: researchers
1: well i mean (laughs) well they they seriously
0: they they, yeah they have the real
1: yeah they definitely all take it seriously. They, uh, <laughs> yeah, man. The the amount of evidence that I've that I've had like sent to my email and stuff because you, you just you kind of want to ask, you know, hey, is this how, how does I don't know? You ask basic questions and they send you back evidence.
0: So <laughs> evidence again. Actually, evidence keep, every time I talk about Bigfoot, I keep throwing around quotation marks because this this whole mm-hmm. Bigfoot subgenre has become it's basically just a cash in. I mean, and a yeah. perfect subject exactly for this—a a Vice style or Buzzfeed style list. Yeah, have you seen um,
1: the Great North tape or the Great North tape? Is that what it's called? Hold on, the no, Great North <laughs> Bigfoot tape. Ah, uh, crap! No, it's not called that. It's called the something—the something North. It's it. Yeah, yeah. Bigfoot in the IMAX movie Great North. What they did was um. They they actually fi- this is weird. They filmed a whole documentary, like a real. This had nothing to do with Bigfoot. It was made for IMAX, okay. and it's called The Great North. Yeah. And then years later, like after it was released, somebody was like, "Is that a Bigfoot in the footage of the documentary?" And it looks something is over there. Yeah. And uh, and and they asked the director and stuff, and they were like, "Yeah, we didn't do that. Like, we didn't have crew over there, you know." And yeah, so that that one's kind of weird because it's like a uh, a Bigfoot sighting, like after the fact. You know what I mean? Like it, it, the movie had already come out, and people were like, "I think I see something in the background." I'll have to send it to you.
0: Thank you. At least
1: th- this is what happened to me: is I was asking a different question, <laughs> and someone sent me this evidence. So now, yeah. now I'm going to pass it on to you.
0: <laughs> it, it is. It's quite a community that you're that you're now uh, sort of a part of. <laughs> exactly. It's endlessly entertaining though, and and certainly the the um the way you the way you talk about this with Jeff Stevenson. This is my favorite piece of IMDB trivia ever. ever. Uh Jeff Stevenson spent several days in the wilderness with real Bigfoot researchers and role. <laughs> no one asked him to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh well he's really
1: into like cryptids and stuff. So yeah. he we originally wanted this to be like a we were think when we were first outlining this movie, we were thinking of doing a ghost. Uh, hunting movie, and then he just kept pushing for it to a great be. Topic. Yeah, he kept pushing for it to be Bigfoot, and uh, and he's yeah he's spent some time with some researchers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's uh, filming that part of it. And filming, uh, you know, you're, you've got uh, you're taking so Brian's going into the wilderness. He's got his cameraman and he's got his Bigfoot expert, and uh, <laughs> you do these little YouTube cutaways for his own channel, and those are just hysterical. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, he, Talk about the decision to include that.
1: Um, well, honestly, yeah, we just wanted a place. You know what it is as far as like writing? It's an easy way for the character to like have a sounding board to be like, this is how I really feel. And uh, it's hard to do that in a movie with only three people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. Or, or, you know, the movie, the movie actually has more characters, but there's a big chunk of it where it's like only three people in the story. So, you know, if this was a different movie, you could have the person uh take a phone call from their mom or go unload a bunch of emotions on a lady at a drive-thru window or something. Who knows? But we, you know, this is out in the woods. So it's like we have to have him talk to somebody, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so yeah. It was also, but, but
0: it also felt like a great opportunity for him to to just riff. He looked like he was exactly. going crazy and loving it.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh yeah. We 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 gave him like a, you know the outline of what to say. Like everybody had a good outline of like a script, but yeah, he was, he was going off Jeff Boyardee. <laughs>
0: It was uh, he's a uh, consistently entertaining and really the, the the people have talked about this in in terms of anti humor where you're just you're not going for you're you're not going for t- particular punchlines uh, and yeah. and the humor just sort of arises from the situation and the characters and I I absolutely see that because Brian especially is great at just capturing a moment that you don't even need to have a punch in it
1: yeah yeah well yeah those guys had worked together before like we've we've all worked together before and so we all kind of just knew uh, each other's like strengths and weaknesses and what to play into. So yeah, it was, it was, it was great working with uh, like a team that already just clicked. You know what I mean? Not having to have outside factors or like a new person or whatever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have to to say one of my favorite parts also is this uh, send up. You do of a similar type of vice creator. (laughs) early on in the movie uh yeah. talk about that uh, the character is a dollar sign is it
1: dirty dollar signs
0: dirty so many people have
1: asked me when he's getting a spin-off <laughs> when
0: he's when he's getting
1: his own movie which would be so funny to just send an ignoramus around the world uh yeah he's he's kind of uh he's kind of like the okay so the brian character is a journalist who, or like somebody who plays a journalist, but he, he fell into this like clickbait outlet that's kind of like BuzzFeed or Vice or any of these like millennial outlets. But he always wanted to cover, he always wanted to make like real meaningful documentaries and cover what he thinks is like real news. But he always gets stuck with this clickbait stuff. And the other character who's kind of his competition is named Dirty Dollar Signs and he's based off Action Bronson, <laughs> who, uh, you know, has several shows on Vice and um, that character is kind of the opposite where he he is like a a hapless idiot who uh, just like fell into this by just being entertaining and he gets the more meaningful opportunities. Mostly, I, I would assume mostly because he is like entertaining, bit of a stooge, And, uh, you know, it's probably much more like it's going to get more views to send like an idiot to talk to, uh, 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 Justin Trudeau or something like that, to to interview somebody like that, which is, that's, that's, that seems to be a lot of vice where it's, it it seems to be, well, any of those outlets where they, they mismatch them and maybe that's how they get more views is they send a smart person to do a dumb thing or they send a dumb person to do a smart thing,
0: (laughs) you know? Yeah, you know, it's, like, it's like you're finding the you found the exact recipe of Buzzfeed and and and, and Vice. exactly yeah <laughs> they they they're gonna get like Action Bronson
1: to smoke weed with Joe Biden and stuff and it's gonna be like <laughs> this didn't help anybody This didn't answer anybody's questions you know
0: yeah uh, the, there's a running bit in the movie about uh, about poor Brian having to go and cover various different forms of uh, of beer fests. I, that, that seems like another just a really terrific vice said well well, we actually rewrote that,
1: so we we this movie was like totally indie, and so we actually like because it costs you know so little, we could afford to reshoot for so little, you know what i mean so we we actually had um a uh like a whole cut of the movie. And then we could take a look like I'm an editor for a living. And so we, we took a look at like the whole movie and then we were like the beginning and the ending sucks. (laughs) So (laughs) we actually like rewrote the very beginning and the very end. So, uh, yeah, so we, 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 I'm sorry to answer your question about like gags and stuff. It used to be much goofier, like up front, the very first like five minutes used to be much goofier. And uh, we, opted for like a little bit less goofy gags about all the the like fake news that he covers um yeah yeah, it used to be like i'm trying to remember it used to be like an interview with like the world's ugliest person and stuff like that uh but we we opted to go for more just kind of like trendy clickbaity stuff to show how much he hates that kind of thing
0: yeah (laughs) it it, it, it's a really it's a clever it's a clever uh, way to hang all of these gags on it is to to have these various types of touchstones and you and i imagine that takes a good deal of research to 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 decide which ones you want to use
1: um yeah i mean well it was just a matter of like writing it to be like like if it can be funny writing like two or three funny gags in it and then like casting the right people and just letting them go nuts you know what i mean like uh yeah, if, if you can, like, cast, if you have friends that you can cast that are, like, right for the role and they can just improvise something really funny, you know?
0: Yeah. Now, Brian, is. what's great about it is that you do have these kind of outlandish characters or these outlandish things like DJ SoundCloud or references such mm-hmm. like that. But then you've got Brian grounding the whole thing and just his whole attitude carries so much of the humor in this movie
1: yeah yeah it, that was that was also like a learning curve for me for making uh going from making sketches where the main character can be a little goofy to making a movie where you have to have a main character people can relate to you know what i mean you can't do 90 minutes of like being goofy
0: yeah uh, he definitely it rounds the whole thing up with him the way he evolves throughout to, to carry so much of the humor and then the story that's actually being told Yeah. Yeah. He can be kind of surrounded by idiots. You know what
1: I mean? But he can't, he can't be an idiot or it's like not, not watchable. Kind of like Arrested Development in that way. You know what I mean? Like he's surrounded by morons that he's (laughs) always incredulous about.
0: I definitely sense that. Well, I, I think this movie is terrific. Zachary. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate
1: it. And uh, tell
0: people when they can see the movie.
1: It'll be out May 7th. Uh, it's called 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot. Number one will blow your mind. And it is out May 7th. Uh, it'll be on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, all, all these on-demand outlets. Uh, and you can pre-order it on iTunes right now.
0: Thank you to Zap- uh, Zach Lampleau, the director of uh, 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot. Number one will blow your mind. Very funny movie. Do check it out uh, this week. It's available now on your favorite on-demand rental services. Also, this week I had a chance to see a movie called Paper Spiders, and Paper Spiders is an emotional roller coaster regarding the ups and downs in a strained relationship between a teenage daughter and a mom suffering from mental illness. The film stars uh, Lily Taylor in the role of the mother and uh, newcomer Stefania Levy Owen as her college-bound daughter uh, facing life alone in a big empty house. Uh, her husband. Uh, having passed away not all that long ago, a mother begins to exhibit some strange behavior, and well, she spirals out of control. Uh, Dawn, played by Lily Taylor, and uh, Melanie, uh, played by Stefania Levy owen have always been close, but uh, since Melanie, since the passing of Melanie's father, they've been glued at the hip. Now, however, Melanie is looking at college at USC, far away from their northeastern roots, and Dawn is beginning to show signs of strain. Then one day, as uh, new neighbors are moving in next door, the neighbor's The neighbor backs into a tree on the property and refuses to apologize. Uh, Dawn and the unseen neighbor have a verbal altercation, and that would appear to be the end of it. Uh, Unfortunately, it's only the beginning. Uh, After this encounter, Dawn begins to hear things. She becomes convinced that the new neighbor is throwing rocks at the side of the house. Late at night, Dawn hears noises on the roof. Uh, They're probably pine cones from the tree, but she's convinced that the neighbor is now crawling on the roof in an effort to get at her. Uh, Melanie quickly becomes concerned, and... Uh, She can see that the neighbor isn't after Dawn, especially after she confronts the neighbor's wife, who explains that Dawn's persecution complex is deeply unfounded. Uh, meanwhile, Melanie is also navigating their final days of high school. Uh, she's earned the title of Salutatorian. She's looking forward to college, and she's somewhat at odds with her best friend, Lacey, uh, played by Peyton List. Uh, Lacey wants Melanie to be more outgoing and take chances and meet boys. Uh, Melanie would rather study and just get it over with. Uh, that becomes a challenge when she meets a boy, Daniel, uh, who's a troubled soul who cries out for saving. He's played by Ian Nelson. Uh, Daniel's a son of privilege. He's uh, not one who takes no for an answer. He's Mel- he uh, he lavishes Melanie with gifts uh, to try and get him t- get her to go out with him. He also has this uh, kind of charming wounded side that appeals to Melanie, the character, and uh, she she wants to help him uh, in the way that she wants to just help people in general. Uh, meanwhile she thinks that getting her mom a date might help her and uh, so Dawn goes out on a date with Howard played by Tom Papa and there appears to be some chemistry there and these moments in this movie are, are really well made uh, the director's uh the director is Inon Champagnier, and it's written by his uh, his wife uh uh who also who's uh, a tremendous writer uh, Melanie Champagnier, and uh, she uh she uh, <sighs> <laughs> I got the wrong name. Natalie Champanier. Thank you. Natalie Champanier is the writer here. And this is based off of her true experience of her with her own mother. Um, went through this uh, paranoid delusion. And uh, they where their relationship is, I don't know. But in terms of the movie, we watch as Dawn and Melanie come apart. And especially watching Lily Taylor uh, lean into and really explore this uh, paranoid delusion that Dawn uh, finds herself in is really it's heartrending. It's uh, it's very sad. It's very moving, and uh, you'll have to see the movie for yourself to see where it goes. But I think Paper Spotters is an incredible movie, and I think Lily Taylor is. Oscar-level great. She's just she's one of our best actresses already, and here she just has a a place to really just shine and show what a thoughtful and incredible actress that she is, and she's really the reason why I can't say enough nice things about Paper Spiders, and I highly recommend it, and uh, I, w- I had a chance to talk with Inon Champagnier and uh, Natalie Champagnier about uh, the making of Paper Spiders and uh, working with Lily Taylor, and well, this is the conversation that I had with them. Joining us now to talk about the new movie *Paper Spiders*, starring Lily Taylor, they are the directors and writers of this, of this film, uh, Natalie and Noun Champagneer. And thank you so much for your time.
3: Thank you for having us, Sean.
0: It, this is so uh, poignant and timely. This morning, I normally I cover news. I'm I'm a film critic full time as well, but uh, I cover news. And this morning, I got a call from somebody who said that they that their neighbor was in their lawn lo- was on the lawn. Yelling that their other neighbor was spying on them, and that they wanted the call, wanted the police called, and it just chilled me because I watched your movie last night, and watching the way that Lily Taylor portrays just that very specific moment is it's so resonant and it hit me so hard. First of all, talk about your inspiration for this film.
2: Well, um, it's based, it's it's inspired by um, experiences I went through with my mom. Um, who was suffering from delusional disorder, and there's different types. So it was the paranoid persecutory type, um, and it's just that it's um, it's it's believing that you're spied on, and you know believing that someone's you know out to get you, um, and and it's really tricky because I mean my mom, she passed away four years, ago, but she was an amazing, caring, loving woman. In normal in every other aspect. Um, you could have conversations with her. You could never guess unless you broached the subject of this neighbor, um, and then and then it just went off the rails from there. But it's one of those disorders that start deteriorating um, gradually, but they, the, it does deteriorate, and there's kind of nothing you can do at the time because. It, there's no awareness there that they have it a disorder, so I mean you yeah. can it's just you 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 try to you know help them, but it's 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 very difficult, and I kind of feel like there's not a lot out there like you know it, it, in terms of what you can do like resources and things. So I I I think it's important like if I had seen this movie when I was going through it, I I, I often wonder like maybe there's more things that could have done to help, but um yeah. there yeah it's a it, go ahead yeah
3: no no I'm, I'm thinking that it, that even even by talking about it one is able to maybe find more resources or hear from other people who are going through similar experiences, and there's uh, and there's something therapeutic about opening up and talking about it. And when because there's so much shame that is necessarily attached to mental illness, a lot of people don't really discuss those things, and as a result, they sometimes don't have the resources to seek help. And it's especially hard with paranoia. I think that with some other forms of mental illness, Illness or mental health issues. People who are depressed, they're aware they're depressed. People who are in anxiety, are aware of that. People who are paranoid believe that this is reality, and and it's heartbreaking that they're living in a false reality of persecution and they're living in a nightmare that they can't be woken up from. And uh, and you can't confront it. You can't tell them, listen. You you have you know you have mental illness that usually only aggravates it and creates a explosion. So um, so it's very very difficult. But even beyond the more narrow scope of paranoia, it was important for us to tell a story about the more general experience that many people have of what do you do when there's someone that you love and you're trying to help, sometimes even save, and the problems are just beyond your control. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, we also wanted to, to have some lightness and levity to it and not just uh, tell a story that is, that is dark. So it also begins as a more comedic and lighthearted uh, um, mother-daughter coming of age story but then gradually, as the mental health situation deteriorates the movie, uh totally shifts more toward the drama.
0: To the point you are both making about, uh, about uh, the resources or the lack of resources that people have here, uh, just kind of stealing a buzz phrase, if you will, Uh, people are going to see this and I think they're going to feel seen. I think that people who've been through this for once will feel like somebody has been where they are and and that's one of the things that uh, that, uh, your main character, the daughter, struggles with throughout is she's alone in this.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. and it seems so rare. I think that that's the biggest thing. Like, people are are ashamed of, of this and they're secretive because it, they think that like this is such a strange thing that I'm that you know I know somebody who's going through or suffering from myself, and it's actually much more common than people would would guess. And I even feel like this pandemic is probably going to bring out a lot of things, um, a lot of paranoia, just a lot of underlying uh, disorders that we haven't even seen yet, but we will. Um, so I, I really hope you know what you're saying. I mean, I really I really hope that people can take away that it's that they're not alone in this and they do feel heard and seen.
3: And is Mental Health Awareness Month. So we really do hope that the, the Beyond Entertaining the movie will also help bring awareness to uh not just paranoia, but but in general they need to support people who are going through mental health crises, uh which definitely were aggravated by uh by a year of lockdown.
0: Absolutely. Unquestionably. And uh, certainly that, that, uh, that aspect of it almost uh, just plays in the background for me uh, in, in terms of this movie. And it it's kind of a, a, a glass shattering moment for me just thinking about that, how, how perfect that is. But uh, the performances in this film are so sensational. And I mean, I, I got to ask you about Lily Taylor. I mean, she's just she gets to the heart of this so beautifully.
3: She really does. We're, we're so lucky to, to work with her, with, with all of our cast, but but, but Lily and, and Stefania especially created such a beautiful relationship on screen and, and also off screen. And then when it when it deteriorates, it's just heartbreaking to, to see because you feel the love that, that's between a mother and a daughter and how uh, and how it's threatened by, by mental illness. But um, we've been wanting to work with Lily Taylor for a long time. I remember we wrote different scripts and said, oh, maybe this is a role for Lily Taylor, maybe this one is. And when we wrote this one, it just she seemed so perfect for her role and, and, and she has such a great ability to just dial it up to a hundred, which not many actors. And do she also directly. found a
2: place that she related to it. And, and like all the actors, they just found that, that spot that, that shows that they're not faking it and it's real. Like every take was like amazing yeah. and, and real and not acting and didn't feel fake.
3: Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And to watch her go all the way um, um, into that, into that, to that place of uh, of a, psychotic breakdown um, was both, you know, very impressive from an acting point of view, but also felt so real. I remember that uh, during the police scene uh, in, in the movie, I remember, you know, we'd finish a take and I'd look back and I'd see crew members just crying because there was something that just felt so real about that moment. And there was a lot of truth that was brought into this fiction of the, of the, the movie.
0: I, I couldn't hold back during that scene. It was harrowing. It was hard to watch, but uh, also incredibly valuable, though. And I don't want to give people a wrong impression of this movie because it is incredibly watchable. The way you establish these two characters early on, uh, it's it's very strong. They've got a a wonderful chemistry, Stefania and uh, and Lily. How long did did they get the chance to spend time together?
3: It's funny. Again, they didn't know each other before, so we couldn't predict how excellent they'll be together. And then uh, at some point, uh, Lily lives in New York, Stefania at the time was splitting her time between New Zealand and New York. And then she flew into New York and I, I, I was still in LA and I told her, uh, you know, you and Lily are both in New York, you can, you can meet. And, uh, and I think they grabbed coffee together and instantly they hit it off and they just, they just developed a relationship that you can't fake. There was real intimacy there. So, uh, um, and I feel like every, every day together in pre-production, even in rehearsals, and and on set, and even by by going through the scenes, it really created and solidified that mother daughter bond.
0: I think visually too, early on, the the, the way you frame them early that they're, they're they're almost shoulder to shoulder, hip to hip, and yeah. then of course as the movie goes on, they're pulled apart, and that that visual element is such an important aspect of this. And I thought you captured that brilliantly.
3: Thank you so much, and thank you for noticing it. It yeah. was actually part of our visual strategy. We really wanted at the beginning for them to to be... I mean, not only so enmeshed, but, you know, they're covered in two shots and you constantly see them together and you feel them together as they're eating together, they're walking together, they're, they're sitting on the airplane together. And then when they're torn apart, you really, you know, that separation becomes visually very, very visible. Which makes
2: her, the trigger yeah. of uh, Stefania leaving all the more powerful because yeah. they are so enmeshed.
3: Yeah. Thanks and for you, using
2: psychology time. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, then, uh, and then you even see moments like, you know, there's the moments when they're lying in bed together. and and, and Stefania is holding Lily. And then later after, you know, Lily leaves, um, you see Stefania lying in, in in bed, same, the same position, almost from the same angle, you know, same shot, but she's alone. And you feel that, that emptiness that is suddenly created by, uh, by, uh, a a daughter essentially losing her mother. Which is also
2: why we chose that have the dad, it sounds mean, but to have the dad out of the picture, (laughs) because it's like, it's her only, it's a person she relies on most and it only increases their bond and, and um, reliance on each other.
0: But it also, it, it increases our worry as an audience as we're watching yeah. this, like without mom, what is she? what does she have? Who is the support system? And there isn't one.
3: Yeah, Especially there's no safety net. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she has to become the parent, which is perhaps the most profound coming of age experience when suddenly you turn, not only turning, they often talk about coming of age, you know, certain experience that a teenager goes through, Especially in those movies, you know, first love, etc. That's all coming of age. But needing to turn from a child to an adult and take care of your parent to until that was parenting you. That is perhaps the most profound coming of age experience that a that a child goes through.
0: I I might come off as just overly praising here because I'm not, (laughs) but I'm not intending it. But the I just really enjoyed the movie. And to your point, uh, when you're talking about that, the she doesn't feel like she's a grown-up she feels like a kid who doesn't have any ideas because normally in a movie like this suddenly the, the daughter involved ha- develops all these skills that they never had before or that a normal kid wouldn't have that's not Stefania Her, she's completely unprepared for this
2: yes. yes, yes, that was the advantage of having somebody who looks innocent and is real, actually the age that, that is, they're supposed to be <laughs> yeah. in the script and, not
3: and, and evokes so much empathy which is interesting, it's a it's a different quality that is not often discussed about actors. You have a lot of great actors who, for whatever reason, don't evoke as much empathy. You watch them, and many of them are fantastic, but you don't necessarily care as much about their characters. And some actors, beyond their talents and their craft, are able to evoke so much empathy. And uh, we both saw that in Stefania when, we, when her audition came in. And uh, I think she was in New York at the time. We were in L.A., so we didn't get to – Or maybe she was in New Zealand. We didn't get to watch her in person. We watched the tape. And both of us instantly, I think even separately, I think we were in different rooms when it came in, we watched it on, on different computers. And uh, we both instantly felt like we found the one and, uh, and instantly ran off. And yeah, we, we have our yeah. Melanie because there was just some quality to, that, that evoked so much empathy and just felt so real mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and captivating. So we're very, very fortunate to work with uh, actors that really put their hearts and souls into, into the movie.
0: I can say that too about the, the supporting cast you chose was also very smart, especially I thought Tom Papa was perfectly cast as just this sweet man who has no idea what he's gotten himself into.
3: <laughs> yeah, we, we, we just saw Tom yesterday we were telling him how how wonderful he was in the movie. First of all, I mean, it's, it's our favorite comedian. And it's always it, it's such, such a pleasure when you're writing a role and you're like, I don't want my favorite comedian to be in that, in that movie. And, you know, and they show up and said, yeah. But, but also having, having that humor and having that, I think that those scenes with Tom where you see different narratives, you know what's going on in his head and you know what's going on in her head. And you know that the two of them have very different ideas of what's going on. And that at some point, you know, there's going to be a clash, and that provides comedy as well as as tension. well as yeah, tension, because uh, you know that it's going to explode. So uh, those scenes were, were a lot of fun to uh, to shoot. And
0: then Max Casella, I thought, what a, he's wonderfully employed here. Just the the, the <laughs> he's kind of he's kind of shady, he's kind of funny, and then there's a moment where he just does something so human and so sweet. You just I I couldn't resist it.
3: Thank you. Yeah, Max was also such a pleasure to work with, and and strangely, strangely was a very hard role to cast because we're trying to find an actor who, you know, would be believable as that you know small town you know private investigator who is kind of comical and kind of inept and comes off as a little bit shady, but then has a transformation, and then you actually really relate to someone with a heart, and and, and you believe the, the story that that, that they have and uh and mex was of course perfect for that. we're so we're so grateful when he when he came on board so uh um uh, yeah we also really enjoyed the scene with mex
0: well uh, tell what else what's and for for you the reason both for each of you uh, what made you want to tell this story obviously it's very personal for you natalie it's very personal for you as well you know but but was there something else that really made you want to tell this story
3: I think I think that as, as writers, we just end up processing whatever we really care about into scripts. Mm-hmm. Very often, they don't even get made. So very often, we don't even have to be to worry. About Forget those, getting made. Like, like a
2: lot of scripts die after page one because you just don't care. You know, you have to yeah. come from the heart yeah. to be passionate about. Yeah, to finish, you know, hundred pages and then two years of your life to make it happen. You have to really care about it. And, and I, I think that like the the story, the personal stories, and the ones that. Or even the ones that you can find a grain of truth in, um, you know, or that you have a passion for, the ones that survive.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, tell people when they can see the movie.
3: Well, the movie is coming out on May 7th in select theaters and on demand. So um, uh, it will be available to uh, stream download um, pretty much everywhere. Amazon, iTunes, um, and in some theaters that uh, people can, uh, can go online. We'll also post on the website of Paper Spiders is the movie. Um, PaperSpiders.com and uh, and on social media when the movie will stream uh, screen uh, different uh, different states, but uh, but everyone uh, in the US will be able to watch it online in uh, to Amazon or iTunes or any other place where you can watch movies and uh, the film will be there.
0: All right, well, then, I, you've certainly got a champion in me. I'm going to be uh, telling everybody about this movie because it, it it is incredibly moving uh mm-hmm. thank you you know and natalie thank you so much for your time and thank you for paper spiders Thank,
3: thank you, Sean. appreciate it.
0: that inter- interview was uh, originally done for my radio outlets and uh you're kind of getting an insight into some of the things that i get to do on the radios have fun conversations with uh creative people that's what i like to do on my my radio show and uh and I, in my free time, anytime I can talk to fun, creative people, I like to do it. And, uh, you know, Zach Lamblu and, you uh, know, are just wonderful people who are so great to uh, give me their time. And uh, I can't say enough. I can't really say how much I appreciate it. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot. Um, next week, we're going to talk about a movie called The Djinn. And uh, I also had a chance to speak with those. And I'll post that on our Everyone's a Critic podcast. Uh, Facebook page, so you can check that out there. That's also going to be available through my radio outlets, as opposed to here. Uh, this is just sort of a filler <laughs> this week to get you uh, through to the next week's show of everyone's a critic. When Bob will be back in full strength, and we'll be uh, back to normal, uh, back with flick charts and thirty-year-old uh, movies and our classic. And a bunch of new movies. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, new movies next week in, that include uh, a movie that I absolutely hate called Scavenger. <laughs> so uh, the two lovers. Uh There's a brand new movie on Netflix as well uh, that's coming out this week that I'll have a conversation about uh, starring Kyler Russell, uh, which the title of which is right off the top of my head just escaping my brain as we speak because that's that's just what happens to me when I try and remember things <laughs> it's just they just leave me they leave me immediately uh, but now that that movie's coming out on Netflix it's called and I have it here I do. I have it here, right? The woman in the window, starring a Kyler Russell, who is the son or Wyatt, Wyatt Russell, Kyler Russell, Wyatt Russell, the, the son of Kurt Russell and Goldie. On, I'm not cutting any of this. Uh, I'm going to just do this straight because that's on this show. Uh, Wyatt Russell, the son of. Uh, Kurt, and Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn, and I'm going to bring you that uh, interview as well. I'm going to get a chance to talk with Wyatt Russell about that movie and uh, about uh, The Woman in the Window, which will be available on Netflix this week, and it's one of the movies that we're going to talk about on the next Everyone's a Critic podcast. Find us on uh, anywhere you stream uh, your favorite podcasts. You can get us on Facebook as well, Facebook and uh, search Everyone's a Critic. We're at Critics Pod on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram as well, and we've got a contest starting next week we'll have an opportunity for you to win a movie all you have to do is give us a five-star review on on uh, your favorite uh, podcast service specifically apple uh, but <laughs> because that's where the, that's where we get the most traction from but uh anywhere where you want to give us a five-star review and you let us know that you did it and we can find it and read it on the show uh you'll be entered to win uh, one of five copies of a of a movie we're giving away and i'll tell you more about that next week uh, as part of uh, everyone's a critic and uh thank you for listening today